Hello and welcome to the Uncapped Podcast, proudly presented by Roast House Pub, where elevated culinary creations meet a fresh, evolving craft beer selection, making it one of Frederick's unique dining destinations. Hey everyone, I'm your host Chris Sands. Today I'm joined by Dan Wade, the head brewer, and Mikey Foster, the sales manager from Wooden Robots. Uh, is it beer company or brewing? Because I didn't type out all of Brewery. the name. Brewery. Uh, I The third option, and I didn't say it. <laughs> That's one of those things I always wonder, like whenever uh, someone starts a brewery, how do, how do they pick which one of those they're going to use? Is it going to be beer, brewery, or uh, brewing beer company? I guess there's beers and blending is becoming more popular. Uh, so it's like the L list works. is endless. Yeah. What's I that? L, I see L works a lot recently. Oh yeah. There are more and more. And then farm brewery as the farm brewery explosion is taken yeah. off. Yeah. We, uh, we also go by wooden robot urban farmhouse brewery on some of our marketing stuff too. So we get a little, little wordy with it if we want to. Oh, I did notice that. And I think that's the first time I've ever seen, um, the urban farmhouse brewery. So why don't we start there? What does that mean? It really just goes back to our ethos. So, you know, we're located in uh, the center of Charlotte in a very urban area, but we still brew with and, and run our company with kind of a very farmhouse ethos. So that goes to the styles of beer we brew, being very drinkable, very dry. Uh, and also, you know, our focus on local ingredients ties in with that as well. So we use 100% local malt, uh, mostly from Epiphany Craft Malt out of Durham, North Carolina. And then we just try to brew beers that really show a ton of terroir of the region, whether that comes down to the specific ingredients we're using, or uh, we, we like to talk about cultural terroir as well. And just how, you know, being in this urban environment brings in so many different cultures and how we can utilize those to, you know, take inspiration on different styles of beer we brew. Now you guys have, you have multiple locations, correct? That's right. We, uh, We've had the brewery in South End for about six and a half years, and we opened up at the Chamber, which is in Nodon neighborhood on the north side of town, uh, about two and a half years ago, uh, and we have our sour aging facility there. So is that um, so like mixed fermentation, barrel-aged sours? Yeah, we have um, nine fooders over there for uh, mixed fermentation sour beers and oh, nice. uh, a variety of smaller format barrels as well. All right, so you you gave a ye- number in years. I don't feel like doing math. So when did Wooden Robot open? Twenty uh, fifteen. Okay. Um, and I, what it? Where did the name Wooden Robot come from? So similar to that urban farmhouse kind of ethos, Wooden Robot really is symbolic of a balance. So the wooden kind of represents an artisanal approach to brewing and a um, respect for the history. And tradition of brewing and robot represents the opposite side right so like the scientific approach to the brewing that is is a little more modern and uh innovative i love the logo it's really cool it it, it looks like it would be a fun robot to own if something like that existed yeah we kind of <laughs> we kind of envisioned it as if you know a belgian farmhouse brewer uh you know hundreds of years ago was going to develop a robot to help him on uh, in the brewery, what it, what it would look like. So he's built out of a barrel and a bucket and, uh, has a mash fork for his, for his hand and everything. Uh, so we had a lot of fun with that idea. 
yeah i can't remember there's definitely like a movie that it makes me think of like that it would fit in but i can't think of what movie it is or like one of those movies where they kind of mix in like like it being old times but they have advanced technology back to the future <laughs> sure well because <laughs> That's not it, but let's just say that so I don't sit here trying to figure it out and bore everyone. <laughs> uh, have you? Were you there from the beginning, Dan? Yes, I'm the co-founder. Um, I started the brewery with okay. uh, Josh Patton. He's my other co-founder. So I've always overseen the, the brewing side and the operational side, and Josh kind of does the finance and administrative stuff. See, Mikey had kept referring to his head brewer. So I got... Well, I mean, I guess it makes sense. That's what I do today. That so that's both, what I like but... to focus on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> What's well, like so many other people though? They they prefer the co-founder or if, and a, a, maybe a fancy title they've given themselves. We like to keep it simple here. <laughs> Dan's pretty so, down to earth. So, <laughs> Mikey, how long have you been there? Uh, I am coming up on four years. And what was, it was a Hell's Lager that you had at FML, right? Yeah, uh, it was, it was a Golden Lager. Yeah, QC Gold. Gold that, yeah. That beer was so good. Yeah, I just, that beer was good. Um, I just recorded an episode last week with the Shillings guys. Um, and those are the two beers I kept bouncing between was the OC and, and, Whatever they had on it at the, the moment. Those guys are doing yeah. some awesome stuff. We love what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was the yours was just as good. It was awesome. Yeah. I think between me, you, Ben, and Mikey, we probably drank three fourths of that whole keg. I'm sure. <laughs> I <did. laughs> Although I did ask the guy once, and he said there were plenty of people coming over, but we were the ones coming over the most and always <laughs> and wanting a full pour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're just we're just gonna go ahead and need you to fill the whole cup for this one. Exactly. You're not allowed to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so Dan, how um how did you get into brewing? Oh man, that's a long story. So it started when I was uh, when I was about like 13 years old. My uh, dad and uncle um, were both into microbrews, as they were known back then. Um, and, uh, my, my uncle lived in Burlington, Vermont. So, you know, I kind of got dragged around with them when they were going to brew pubs, uh, really early on. And then for one of my dad's birthdays, my uncle got him a, a brew on premises experience. So that's a thing that's not really around so much anymore, but, uh, they went and brewed a beer at this place on, you know, kind of a glorified home brewing system. And I got to make my first root beer, uh, as like a 13 year old. So oh, cool. that was my first brewing experience. And then, uh, you know, just kind of being around it and really having a respect for the craft of brewing from an early age uh, really shaped, you know, my, my approach to beer. I think even going into college and everything, I didn't really, I wasn't really a big like macro lager guy. I kind of had a respect for, you know, quality beer from, from an early age and then started home brewing when, when I turned 21 in college. Um, my, my business partner, Josh, started homebrewing around the same time, and I studied mechanical engineering and had some opportunities to work in, um, you know, big engineering companies like GE uh, and just kind of realized I was going to be behind a desk most days. So, so my hobby of homebrewing started looking like a really attractive career path as I was in 
uh, college and then ended up uh, working at a brand new brewery that opened in Gainesville, Florida, um, where I was going to school called Swamphead. Um, I interned there for my last semester in college and then, you know, took a job that summer. Uh, and that the year after that went to get my brewing and distilling degree at Harry Watt University in Edinburgh, Scotland. So. Oh, that's a, a fun place to pick to go to. Yeah, it was great. I got to travel around Europe, go to Belgium, go to Germany a few times and, and see, you know, all the great classic brewing cultures and pick up a few things here and there. So did, did you ever get to, you, you, you never went into the mechanical engineering at all then? Did you just go straight, straight working at the brewery and then deciding, ah, forget the desk job, I'm going to go to Scotland and learn how to brew? Yeah, I did a couple internships for GE, working on uh, electric vehicles, working on uh, gas turbines for a while, uh, and the, the, those two stints doing internships with so at the did, you said um brewing and distilling so th- do they teach both at the same time or was it different like major like different tracks to go in uh so it's they're both part of the program so some of the first semester classes there um you, you take a little bit of both and then you kind of pick your track on what you want to focus on so in addition to choosing okay. brewing and distilling you can focus a little more on the technical side. You can focus more on the business side, uh, marketing. So I kind of went heavily on the beer side and, uh, on the technical side. From what I understand, it's just like recently that any U S universities have started to offer distilling courses. Yeah. There weren't really a lot of opportunities back when I went to school. That was in 2011 that I went to, to Scotland and, yeah, it, there's a few certificate brewing courses in the U.S. at that time, but yeah, not a whole lot on the distilling side. Yeah, because what in the U.S. or I'm not kind of bother listening them because I'll get them wrong. Um, but that that was that's one difference. Like I always find because I do some spirits coverage too. Um, that I always find interesting is like there's really no legal way to learn how to distill. Like you kind of just have to either. Uh, make a lot of essential oils mm-hmm. to get <laughs> the foundation on, or you need to find some place to give you an internship, and then. But like in the beer world, there's the luxury of like you just go to a local homebrew shop that are more and more yeah. uh, plentiful, and just start at it home. Wasn't that long ago that you know homebrewing was illegal too, and in, in a lot of states, you know, it wasn't until the '80s until they made that. And, yeah, I guess that. Although the '80s were a long time ago, that uh, I'm reminded every of course, yeah. every year. I think it keeps getting farther <laughs> away. Yeah. <laughs> um. So when when you when you decided to go do that, had you always had the plan that you were going to open your own brewery, or was your plan to uh, brew for other breweries? Yeah, Josh and I talked about opening our own brewery really early on into getting into home brewing. So it was something from the time I was 21 that I, I really wanted to do. And and I also knew that I wanted to spend a little bit of time working for some other breweries and really just learning the craft, learning from some other people um, and, and having, you know, chances to tweak and make mistakes. And uh, and it worked out really well. I, I worked for a couple of really great breweries and learned a ton. 
Where'd you start out? Uh, so I started out at Swampet in Gainesville, Florida, which was a brand new 10 barrel uh, brewery that just opened. I was the, um, after the founder and head brewer, I was their first employee. Um, so that was a really good opportunity to learn really quick because uh, they were just growing yeah. like crazy. Uh, and then I spent some time out at Rogue in Oregon at their production facility. So I got some uh, opportunity to learn on a big 100 barrel production system as well. So everything from, yeah, little... Uh, 10 gallon system at home to the 10 barrel up to a hundred. I think that is, that was probably like absolutely, I can't think of the right word, um, invaluable to, for you. Cause I think that's one place where like maybe a lot of, as craft breweries grow that knowledge that they're missing of having someone who's worked in a production brewery and just know, like has all the uh, processes in place, they know for better yields. And cause I, I, I know even locally places who have hired, like once they reach a certain level and they hired someone who had experience working for a larger production brewery, like they came in and made them so much more efficient. Yeah. It makes a big difference. And, you know, with my engineering background and, and my education, you know, I always really had a, a focus on doing things the right way, doing them efficiently and also not wasting time and effort and energy that I don't have to. So, you know, that, that bigger, that bigger production brewery uh, atmosphere definitely puts a big focus on that. And you, you learn a lot of great tools that you can apply. We're on a 15 barrel system, but a lot of the things I learned were from the 10 barrel system I brewed on. And a lot of things I learned were from that bigger system as well. Let's take a um, real quick uh, sponsor break, and then when we get back, I want to talk about um, actually what kind of system that you guys have at Wooden Robot. Uh, so we will be right back. Uncapped is brought to you by one of Frederick's original Maryland craft beer destinations, located off of Urbana Pike, featuring a warm, inviting atmosphere and knowledgeable staff serving up fresh, locally sourced culinary creations and unique craft beers on tap. Open seven days a week, our friends at Roast House Pub invite you to enjoy a casual lunch, happy hour specials, delicious dinners, and specialty desserts. Follow them on social media to keep up to date on their monthly beer dinners, mom's spaghetti dinner battles, and what beer is being featured for Buck Above Monday. Idiom Brewing Company proudly offers a delicious variety of beers to satisfy the most discerning tastes. Best known for their wide array of IPAs, delicious fruited sours, and robust porters and stouts. Idiom has a simple goal in mind, to bring people from all walks of life together, to enjoy themselves and each other. Whether you're a hophead looking for explosively juicy IPAs, or one of the adventurous few looking to try boozy, sour, or complex flavors, or just looking to enjoy classic styles and seasonal favorites, they'll have a little something for you. Idiom Brewing Company is located in downtown Frederick, just south of the intersection of East Street and East Patrick Street, with ample seating directly on Carroll Creek. All right, so what size uh, brew house do you all have? So we're on a 15-barrel, two-vessel, uh, and then we have a mix of 15 and 30-barrel fermenters, and we're brewing about 3,000 barrels a year on that right now. So you're doing a de- decent amount of beer. So are you So for your um, mixed firm stuff, are you brewing it there and taking it to 
to the other location or is that do you have a brew house there yeah, too? We just have the one brew house. So uh, what we'll typically do is we'll do fermentation, primary fermentation in stainless uh, at our clean facility. And then we have some 350 gallon stainless steel totes that will um, fill the move work or finish beer um, back and forth to the sour facility. Okay. What what kind of barrels are you using there? Is it just across different across the board? The vast majority of it is our, our fooder program, which is all uh, fooder crafters. Oh, that's right. You yeah, fooders. And then we have a lot of white wine barrels and uh, red wine barrels as well. And then we've just started playing with some mixed fermentation in uh, spirits barrels. So we have some that are about 18 months old right now that are getting ready to be blended pretty soon. Oh, nice. How how many different barrels are you typically blending together, or does it just completely depend on yeah, really dep- what taste you find that you want to hit? Yeah, sometimes if it's a small project, we'll just blend. We've done some single barrel projects even where you know we're just taking one you know fifty nine gallon barrel that we really like and just do a singular uh, release. We have some that are like two barrels blended together. Our spirit barrels that we have, we have like two of each varieties so we're probably going to do those as just two barrel blends and then we have somewhere we've done as many as eight or ten barrels to to get the right profile for what we're looking for if we're looking for a little more beer as well and you put those in the bottles typically yeah for anything barrel age we tend to put in bottles Uh, a lot of our fooder program goes on to draft and that occasionally gets bottled as well we've been bottling a lot less recently uh just because that's where the market is and uh with COVID, we we kind of just, you know, we're a little bit slower um, last year. So spent a little more time just focusing on, you know, higher volume draft stuff and not doing quite as many um, of our smaller blends. It, I still, it, it still feels weird anytime I get a barrel-aged beer in a can. And I don't know why. It's still just like, it was still that, like that mental block what of like five years ago, like just switching the mental thought that good beer comes in cans as opposed to bottles. And maybe that was longer, but like now it's that barrel aged thought process that if it's barrel aged, it's got to be in a bottle and it's weird if it's in a can. Yeah. I'm starting to see it a little bit more, but it does kind of feel weird, especially when you start getting up to like a dollar an ounce type stuff to, to really yeah. pay that much for a can. It's, and I think there's like a stigma about, beers that are really high alcohol that you want to age like you just feel better about aging a glass bottle than throwing a can in your cellar for a couple of years yeah even though it by all accounts it probably would be much better for it to be in the can yeah. i don't think there's anything bad that could happen right i think it's all mental yeah it was, i mean like i said it was the same as what like was it six six years ago would, would that be the tipping point Whereas like, you know, like all craft beer was in bottles. And then if you saw something in a can, you were kind of iffy on it. Yeah. I think Oscar Blues really only, started that up around that yeah, time. It still yeah. Can. I was just about to say, and it, it was just uh, Oscar Blues trying to preach that cans were better and everyone else was saying, no, they're not. We're going to use. <laughs> and now it, it's hard to find anything in a bottle if you want it, if for some reason you wanted mm-hmm. it. We might see that change though so, soon now that now that we can't get aluminum as easily and it's starting, the prices are going up. I wouldn't be surprised if a few places start kind of taking a second look at bottles again 
everything well. glass is really hard to get now too That's though true. i mean like i i don't know about 12 ounce bottles but i know um like uh, one of the local distilleries had to completely change the bottle that they use because they basically just changed to what they were able to purchase because the the glass across the board is really hard to get now yeah sure we're even having a little trouble getting uh glasses like drinking glasses for a tap room right now for certain styles yeah and i was i was going to follow up with saying that like glassware companies have shortages uh glass blowers aren't even able to get the raw materials to make the fancy glassware like it's it's so weird <laughs> one thing after another uh did um did you guys can pre 2020 or was that in a, in response to covid we were canning yeah occasionally before 2020 uh, we really focus on, we, we have a mobile canning company that we work with, so it's not a big portion of what we've done and it never really has been, uh, that went up a little more in 2020, just kind of as a reaction to everything going on. Um, and we're already kind of back to where we were before. So we're, we're typically canning beer every three months or so. Yeah, I guess with multiple locations you you need most of it on draft is that accurate yeah about half the beer we sell we sell on draft and and the other half is almost entirely uh draft for for wholesale um do you do mainly more like lean towards classic styles or do you get into heavily adjuncted uh more current styles we lean definitely more towards classic styles. You know, our, uh, we, we do some, you know, fairly heavily fruited sours. We try to do local fruit whenever we can on those and, and they're fully fermented. We're not doing any smoothie beers or anything like that. Um, we're not afraid of using adjuncts here and there. So we do some stouts um, with some light adjuncting, but yeah, we're definitely not really big into like the pastry stout thing or the smoothie uh, thing yeah. or anything like that. That's not our focus. We've played with it here and there, but it's more just, for our brewers to have fun. It's not the core of what we do. Is that based on like just personal preference for you want to drink or that, like, that's just where, where that that's where you want to it, be. It's hard to draw a line between personal preference and just company culture at this point. Cause I think they really go hand in hand. You know, it are yeah. me and the rest of the brewing team really tend to like stuff that's high drinkability and, you know, moderate alcohol. So and, and then that's what people have come to expect when they're coming to our tap room too. They, you know, they, they know what we've been doing and whenever we kind of go outside those boundaries, we don't see as much demand for, for even like, you know, bigger double and triple IPAs. Like that's not, that's not the core of what we do. And we do them. People are the people that we've kind of cultivated as our regulars. That's probably not what they're drinking or they wouldn't be regulars here. Yeah, it, it kind of might, might get a little backlash from, hey, what the hell are you trying to give me now? Yeah, just, yeah. I mean, I think people just, they they have their wheelhouse. So they people that tend to gravitate towards us, like the styles of beer that, that we gravitate towards and that we like to brew most of the time. Are there any other, are there breweries that you, that you consider were your influences as you were uh starting out and um get, get first getting into brewing or were you just 
focused on what what you wanted to do yeah so we we took a lot of you know we really love farmhouse style beers and sour beers so some of the ones that you know some of the breweries that i think of that were doing those styles well when we were getting started i mean hill farmstead had a really nice balance of those beers and then obviously their hoppy beers as well which ipas are another style that we really enjoy um especially ones that kind of lean slightly towards the the west coast or or a blend of west coast and uh, new england style uh so i, I think hill farmstead and firestone walker too that really jump out at me for doing a wide range of styles really well um that were influential to what we we're doing and then um you know places like side project and hill farmstead that just do an amazing job with their uh especially on their their sour programs and their barrel aging programs uh, are ones that you know we definitely enjoy a lot and and got some inspiration from early on uh but that but that really was kind of what got us started and shaped the trajectory but since then you know the last six years i think we really have an identity all our own and we kind of stick to our guns on a lot of that stuff so in in this area there's almost like generations of craft brewers there's ones that have been around for 20 or so years um and then, and this this had a lot to do with Maryland laws. It was very difficult to, or, to operate a craft brewery until recently. Um, and then there was another batch that opened maybe 10 or so years ago. And then there was another wave of like five years ago. And then like trickling in throughout. Is it is it like that in Charlotte at all? Like where do you fit in uh, like timeline wise with your surrounding breweries like in the i guess the scene in general yeah i think it came in waves here and the waves kind of hit pretty late here because uh alcohol laws in north carolina um they did pop the cap which raised the limit on abv mikey you're around for that i wasn't even here for that but what was it like six you couldn't make a beer over six percent or seven percent for a long time yes i think it was like six and a half six percent something like that like oh wow it wasn't even that it's worse there than in maryland then yeah so they raised that to 15 percent. so it's 15 now and that happened in the late 2000s um so you saw like the first wave of craft breweries in charlotte at least um were kind of between 2011 and 2013 um and there was probably six to eight that opened up around that time uh, and a lot of those have grown a ton. You know, they were they were some of the first to market. So those tend to be some of the bigger breweries in the city. And then yeah. we were kind of in the second wave. So we opened within a year or so of breweries like Sycamore, uh, Unknown, um, Free Range opened up like within a week of us. Uh, and then there were maybe three or four that opened up like in the following year around the time that we opened. And then there was kind of like a little bit of a lull with a couple trickling in for a couple of years. And then a lot recently in the last like three or four years. Yeah. It's kind of our, our, uh, law changed was, um, tap room sales though. Like I can't remember what year it was, but it was around 10 years ago was you couldn't sell a pint of beer in a tap room. So any, anyone had opened then usually had like tiny little tasting rooms. Cause you could just do tastings that, but it had to accompany a tour. Um, Ooh, and then it was, 
maybe five, six years ago there. where they started to allow actual tap room sales. Wasn't Aslan doing that at first? Possibly, because I think Virginia Virginia's little f- further ahead than Maryland is, though. I think they're a lot. Although it's it's crazy, like every every state kind of thinks theirs are the really bad, but it's like every state has some just ridiculous law, even though they like the ridiculousness doesn't usually overlap. But each state has some ridiculous thing that just kind of like holds your hands behind your back. Like I thought one of like the craziest thing for like in North Carolina when I was at the Barrel Culture Invitational was that breweries can't pour their own beer at festivals unless you pay for a special permit. Like it has to be poured by volunteers. Wait, in North Carolina? Yeah. No, oh, is it out of state? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry, it was for out of state breweries. There's a lot of weird laws in North Carolina, but like you said, I think every every state I've been to and and kind of dealt with the brewing industry has their own kind of quirky things. So, I think um, you talked to, although it was it was a running joke on my podcast for a while. I would always refer to Asheville as the Frederick of North Carolina because uh, I had someone from Guinness on and he kept trying to say like Asheville was like the best place for craft beer on the East Coast. And I kept just telling him it was wrong that it was Frederick. Um, so like that, I think that's where most of the spotlight for North Carolina beer gets shined. Um, but how has, how does that affect like the Charlotte area. It doesn't. Okay. Far enough away that it makes no. Asheville has their thing, but Asheville is big on like the local scene, like the, the local people. So it used to be when I first got in the industry, we went to a lot of beer releases and stuff in Asheville. But since our market has grown so much, our, our beer is just as good as theirs. And our, our like territories are more spread out. I mean, you can go to 25 breweries in Asheville in like two miles. But, I mean, the beer quality here is just as good. So, I, I personally, my beer friends don't go to Asheville like that anymore. I actually know a lot of people that come to Ash, uh, from Asheville that come to Charlotte for beer. Actually, I, I should have started this conversation at after a sponsor break because it would have been a good start. So, let's take a real quick sponsor break and let's pick up on the the different craft beer scenes of North Carolina. So we will be right back. I buy my beer at District East in downtown Frederick, Maryland. They have an amazing selection of local and hard-to-find beers, and I love the option of making my own mix-and-match custom six-pack. District East is on Northeast Street in Frederick, in the same shopping center as Showroom Restaurant and Rockwell Brewery. Most weeks, they have over 950 beers in stock. Check out this week's selection at www.districteastbeer.com. To all you craft breweries, wineries, and distilleries out there, listen up. Atlantic Custom Solutions is the real deal in providing you branded growlers, ceramics, glassware, and accessories like koozies, coasters, and keychains. Their high-definition digital printing, organic ink, and low-fire process ensures your brand is printed in ultra-high definition, giving you a one-up on the competition. We've used Atlantic Custom Solutions for uncapped branded glassware and couldn't be happier with it. Check them out. 
visit www.brandmybeverage.com or give them a call at 434-286-4500 to learn more about how they can help you brand your business. McClintock Distilling is Maryland's first and only certified organic distillery, handcrafting gins, whiskeys, vodkas, and cordials from non-GMO organic ingredients in downtown Frederick. Named the best vodka distillery in the country by USA Today, best gin in the world at the International Spirits Competition, and double gold at the World Spirits Competition for bourbon, rye, and gin. Open now for tours, tastings, and classes. Come sample the most awarded distillery in Frederick today. So do you, in, in Maryland, um, people just love Maryland. So it, there really aren't like separations of different areas. So like there are the Frederick breweries and then there's like the Baltimore breweries and there's the Montgomery County breweries, but people just sub- almost universally support anything Maryland. Cause if there's anything people from Maryland love, it's Maryland, um, is, is North Carolina, similar to that all or is it like are there like the different areas that people hold their allegiance to Mm, i feel like it it, if you go to Asheville, i mean Asheville for me is a very hard territory because nobody really goes to Asheville to buy charlotte beer so if you go to Asheville, i mean you have your spots that like to focus like the well they focus on stuff outside of Asheville, but i mean I don't know. It's hard to say because Charlotte, I mean, now that we have burial and stuff here, um, I don't know. It is kind of a sectioned off, I guess. Like people do support them, but they're going to buy something from a smaller brewery here. I feel like before they're going to go for like a green man beer or something, nothing wrong with them. It, it just the stuff they've been drinking for a long time anyway. And we have so many breweries pop up here all the time. Yeah. They're going to buy you know, town or devil's logic before they're going to buy something from Asheville. Um, it's always good to see Wilmington. I personally support a lot of breweries in Wilmington because I know their scene isn't as big as everybody else's and they got great beer out there. So uh, it, there's just so many breweries in this state, really. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Like, there's, there's so many times breweries. where like, I'll like, I'll see something about a brewery and like, Oh, I wonder where they are. And it's like, it feels like 50% of the time they're in North Carolina. There's a lot. Yeah, I think, <laughs> I think North Carolina, for the most part, people here do drink North Carolina beer if they can, and they don't really differentiate a ton. But you do kind of see weird things, especially because we self-distribute in North Carolina, which is a really nice thing to have. It it does kind of add to some oddities. Like you don't see a ton of Asheville breweries distribute to Charlotte because they're self-distributing. They're used to those margins, and it's really easy to hit the Asheville area. But it doesn't make as much sense unless they're a somewhat big brewery to send someone out to Charlotte. And vice versa. So you do see, I don't think it's a consumer issue, but like a logistic issue. Like you don't, it's not like a lot of states where you're like, oh, I have to sign a distributor. So I'll just have them cover the whole state. That makes sense because it becomes much less advantageous to fill a truck up with beer and drive halfway across the state if you can just sell it all over and the bigger markets here are all kind of spread out like it's you know it's a two and a half hour drive for us to get to Asheville and and about the same to get out to Raleigh and those are the three you know Charlotte Raleigh and Asheville are kind of the three bigger markets in the state that that's something I always forget to because every time I go to North Carolina I think oh I'm going to be in North Carolina maybe I'll go here too 
And then I look and I forget that most states aren't like Maryland's where everything is within two hours of each other. And, and North Carolina is much larger. It takes us like seven hours if you want to get to the Outer Banks to go to the beach. So it, it really makes you think yeah. twice about some of those things. Yeah. So how how do the the different so you are the largest the largest craft beer areas then in North Carolina the Asheville Raleigh Durham and then Charlotte yeah yeah maybe Pepper Wilmington and how do those rank or are they all on par with each other like size wise not quality that's somewhat subjective so raleigh and charlotte city-wide like metro area wise are about the same size i think it's about two million people in each one i think raleigh is actually a little bit bigger but it's really spread out because it's between raleigh durham chapel hill and a couple other like decent sized towns in that area whereas charlotte it's very charlotte centric you know we have the lake which has a couple decent sized uh towns and we're also on the border with South Carolina, so the Charlotte metro area also like crosses borders. Um, but those are the two big ones. Asheville is really more of a – it's a smaller town. It's only like 80,000 people. It's, you know, it's a lot smaller market, but it's a huge tourist town, uh, and especially beer tourism. So. Okay, I was going to say, how, how did so many breweries end up in Asheville? I, I think a lot of it's cultural. Like the culture in Asheville reminds me a lot of the culture – you know, growing up in the Northeast, like near Burlington, Vermont, or, you know, even okay. you look at like Portland or Austin, I think Asheville has some of that, you know, same type of uh, affinity and, and character. Uh, whereas Charlotte, not long ago, was really a corporate city. It's a banking town. Uh, so you didn't see a ton of breweries really early on, but that's really changed a lot in Charlotte. Um and now, you know, there's more breweries in Charlotte by a good number compared to Asheville, but per capita, it's not even close because we're a metro area that's like 20 times the size of it. Yeah, I was going to say, all right, at 2 million people, it makes sense that there are way, there should be way more yeah. there than what, and, and be able to support way more. And I, like, one of the, one of the reasons why I asked a lot of that is that I, I remember, Oh, it was a while ago. It was, it was when a couple of the large breweries announced that they were opening, um, North Carolina locations, um, flying dog did a series of posts like saying that they weren't moving to North Carolina and people from North Carolina apparently got pissed off and like complained to them so much. They heard They deleted everything. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> I think it's funny. So, I don't know. I don't know why anyone would be offended by that. But. Yeah, I and it it was it was pretty funny, but apparently there were a lot of people in North Carolina that didn't because they they thought that. I mean, it, however it was worded, it was kind of weird. Like if you weren't aware, like if you weren't completely aware of breweries moving, like opening in North Carolina, the way they worded it kind of could have been taken as a slight on North Carolina itself. So I think that's how most people interpreted that were upset about it, or it's just that there's so many people who are uptight about everything. That could be it. So, um, Mikey, how long have you been selling beer? It's quite a while, right? Uh, four years. Yeah. 
I, I started out delivering beer for four years and then switched over here and then started selling beer. How, how has that changed over the years? Like with the explosion of so many more breweries, has that made selling beer so much more difficult? Or? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I mean, with styles, um, the amount of breweries in the state, the places we go, then with COVID, every, everybody's canning more, everybody's packaging more. So we saw a big influx of, of outside breweries coming into North Carolina, which is, you know, the shelf space. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's changed a lot. It's definitely grown huge. Yeah. It, have you, it, were there a lot of like the, um, like trade popular breweries were they starting to end up on shelves in north carolina because that happened a lot in maryland yeah like i mean uh, breweries that people would be going after like where you would only be able to get it if you were into beer trading started to just be distributed into maryland yeah um well personally i used to trade for southern griffs ology um and since covid I, i see both of them on the shelves now uh bearded iris was the same way uh, now I'm seeing things like Mortalis and, you know, people like that. They, they really want those beers. And, um, yeah, uh, it, it's a lot of people coming to the state now. Do you do you guys only distribute within North Carolina or do you go outside? We go out every now and then. Uh, we send beer to Georgia every now and then, uh, Florida and uh, New York. Why, why Florida and New York? Dan. Josh, so Josh <laughs> and I are from Florida. So that's where I cut my teeth okay. in the brewing industry. So I have a lot of connections down there and try to like to get them some beer here and there. And then I, my whole family is from uh, upstate New York. And I have okay. good friends in the brewing industry in, in the city of New York and upstate. So... Yeah, it's really just about personal connections. It's not like a big part of our business, but if we do a canning run, uh, like I said, we'll do it every three months or so. We'll try to send a little bit yeah. to one of those markets just to kind of pepper it in every now and then. Um, you know, it's always just fun getting like texts from my family and friends like, oh, I found your beer on the shelf. <laughs> I, I was hoping that you would give me more clarity into the, the why of that. Uh, like your answer completely makes it's sense. It's no grand plan, uh, yeah, but it's, it's very, <laughs> it's very well, personal. But no, it it like, yeah. But like it just it just seems like there are, um, there are a lot of small breweries that will just randomly send beer to California. I mean to Florida and to uh to New York, or like there's some breweries around here that like for some reason, like the second most popular place of their beer is Florida mm-hmm. and it's nowhere near here. It makes no sense. So I was hoping you would, well, I think the other part is like a lot of people, confused about you know, that. a lot of people move to Florida. You know, I think it has a reputation for like being a retirement state, but a lot of people move down there for the weather too. So sometimes you get a pocket of people that, you know, maybe they're moving maybe from Maryland it, yeah. to Florida and asking about it. Let's say I'm, I'm from Pittsburgh. Um, so there's us people just spread all over the country that want stuff from Pittsburgh. So maybe it's, it's just that. I think like half of the population of Charlotte is from like Pittsburgh or Buffalo or. 
I, I feel like half of the population of almost the entire country <laughs> is from Pittsburgh. <laughs> like, and it, like, it just must, like, we, we all, I guess anywhere that had jobs, like that's where we went. And that, that's why I left. I, there, at least there, there's stuff there now. It's a much nicer city. But in 2001, when I moved out of Pittsburgh, it was purely based on I wasn't going to find a job out of college if I stayed in Pittsburgh. I think we have more Buffalo bars in, in Charlotte than we have Panthers bars. <laughs> well, that like there's just a weirdness of so many Buffalo Bills fans, I guess, because they were like they were so good for a while but it's probably also the same like buffalo is an area where people just once they grow up they move Mm -hmm. out of probably to escape the cold yeah i can relate so pittsburgh's cold and there were no jobs so it it made sense to leave Uh, charlotte what the that's a big technology and medical area right yeah, the biggest industry here is banking, and then there's a ton of technical support for the banking industry primarily, but the technical okay. overall, and then, yeah, healthcare and medical is uh, the other big industry here. So um, do you guys have aspirations of like coming, becoming more of like a larger production scale brewery and distributing a lot more, or do you like focusing on being smaller and artisanal? Yeah, we definitely lean towards the latter. So we don't have plans to build a production facility or anything. I mean, you know, we might, I won't say we will never build like another brewery, but if we did, I would say it would probably be smaller and not bigger. Um, I would love to, I actually just went to Nashville for a beer festival this past uh, weekend and I had a ton of people asking like, Oh, are you ever going to sell beer in Nashville? And I was like, probably not. But, uh, but the other <laughs> thing that I, was really cool, we were hanging out with some of our friends over at bearded Iris and, you know, they have a big 30 barrel um, facility and they're, they're available in grocery stores out there and everything and, and selling beer in a few different States, but they just built like a seven barrel specialized system to be able to do loggers and decoctions and everything like that. So, that's probably if we were going to ever go open up another brewing location, what we would do is, is be able to, to focus on our lager program and do just like fun stuff, like be able to do decoctions and open fermentation, get some lagering tanks. Uh, Cause our, our system was really set up, you know, six and a half years ago, craft brewing, craft brewing lagers was not a huge focus that anyone was really spending a lot of time thinking about, or maybe not yeah. anyone, but not a lot of people. Uh, so we our system's really set up for single infusions and for brewing really good, you know, American IPAs and being able to brew farmhouse sales. But having a, a little more capability to do like kind of weird, unique, fun, smaller batch stuff would be the direction we would go if we were ever to do something like that. Has um, staying focused on more traditional styles... Um, been kind of an advantage as more and more breweries are leaning more towards the tre- like current trends where you've stayed as being the place to get a high quality traditional beer. Yes. And uh, I think it really helps us for our tap rooms because it's something that people can have a few of, but it probably makes Mikey's job a little bit tougher on the wholesale side because so many bottle shops <laughs> now they want to have like, 17 hazy IPAs and like 
three smoothie beers or something like that. But yeah, uh, I mean, it definitely allows us to carve out our niche, but it it has its limitations as well. And and I think that's starting to change too. You know, I think the complete domination that hazy IPAs have had for a few years is really starting to loosen up. Like we're seeing our our loggers do really well now. We're seeing even West Coast IPAs make a comeback and um and there's always been the the demand for some of our like farmhouse and sour beers and that hasn't changed a ton but um even that maybe is kind of starting to pick up a little bit for us now too. Do you think that is a function of just changing tastes of people or because for years brewers and brewery employees have been preaching that loggers and West Coast IPAs are best and now people are just starting to listen? I think both, honestly, if I had to say. I, I think a big part of it is, you know, the, the number of people drinking like Cezanne is probably the same as it ever has been, but the industry's grown like crazy, right? So, you know, if the industry grew tenfold, that's like 90% of the people are pretty new to craft beer. And I think that that really yeah. pushed the, you know, the styles of beer that have been popular the last few years. But those people, you know, it's a progression, I think, for everybody, right? Like, uh, you know, those people are learning more and trying and, they're realizing that it's hard to drink, you know, three really big sweet beers and maybe something like lighter and easier drinking after that first hazy IPA is a, is a good option for my second and third beer. Um, so I think a lot of it is just like the natural progression of people getting brought in by something that's very approachable and very, um, very objectively tasty, but a little bit maybe simple and easy to understand and then starting to branch out from there. That's my theory. I wonder too, though, if it's kind of like that because the whole idea of craft beer was that it's so different, that it's so much more flavorful. It's higher quality that people thought it needed to be like just so much more like where just a better version of a lager wasn't enough. It needed to be this huge flavor bomb. I think you saw that with West Coast IPAs with the IBU wars, and then that came back down to earth. And then with sours, like how sour can you get it? And then I think a lot of breweries have done a good job of bringing that back down to earth. And maybe hazy IPAs are kind of doing the same, the same trend in a different way. I miss the IBU wars, though. I loved Pallet Wrecker. I don't. <laughs> See, I, I love the the beers that feel like they're trying to rip the taste buds off your tongue. <laughs> I, I like to think of it as the craft beer circle. You know, when you start first trying to have beer, they're beer flavored beers, but it's like Bud Light, Miller Light. So then you get into craft beer. So then you don't want something hoppy. So you go to the hazy IPAs. So then people now are like, oh, well, I'll get out of the hazy IPAs, but I want something very fruity. So they're going smoothie. And over time, once they're in it for a couple of years, they start going to the, the West Coast IPAs. Then they start moving to, well, I like those smoothie ones. Let me try a Grisette or let me try a Cantillon. Then they're like, oh, wow, these are like barrel-aged sours. And then it's the full circle. Then it comes back, well, I used to drink those you know, those Miller Lights and stuff. Let me try craft lagers. Let me really start to get in the Shores beers and stuff like that. And then it's just the full circle of it, man. 
What's a, I think, um, I, and I, I say it all the time that like, you know, fruited sours, I think get villainized a lot or people who drink them and maybe it's just the culture around them online of the trading and like people look down on that somewhat. Um, but I feel like they've brought so many more people into craft beer than any single style. Could be. Think about it. When I started, it was all about the Angel series from Wicked Weed. Everybody was lining up for Red Angels, White Angels, Yellow Angels. And these are four-hour lines back in you know 2013. But, I mean, I still see it happening now for you know the Cantillons. I, I think some people just have to get – they just have to know – that it's going to be great fruited sours from that brewery. That's why I, we've never, I don't think we've ever had a problem selling fruited sours. Usually for me anyway, once they hit the market, they're going pretty fast. Well, I mean more uh, like the f- smoothie sour thing. Oh, yeah. I yeah. think fruit, like an actual sour with fruit in it. Yeah. You st- I feel like you still need to be someone who's really in the craft beer to enjoy. Yeah. But, but like, it, it's, it's a, a learning like process. Just, beer with a bunch of ice cream powder and fruit fruit puree in it brings a lot more people to drink it because they drink it and it just tastes like a milkshake well it's it's america has a sweet tooth and the way i've gotten family members into it it's like hey what's your favorite ice cream what's your favorite candy there's a beer for that yeah (laughs) all these years you don't like beer well you can go get a raspberry marshmallow chocolate yeah. I mean, and, and that's the thing is there's nothing wrong with it if, if it gets you into the craft beer industry and so be it because eventually you'll be drinking Schwarz beers and marsons it's just it just takes time i mean i got in it at a weird time where the double ipa west coast were a big deal so for me that was super weird but i knew i could drink one over drinking six yeah. and i'd have the same buzz what's it what so like when i got into craft beer amber ales were were the the gateway into the more absolutely uh the the crazy west coast ipas yeah (laughs) i i I remember my first uh like i guess it would be a pastry stout technically a maple bacon coffee porter from funky buddha and i thought it was the craziest thing ever but (laughs) then i could only drink two ounces of it yeah so And now that's every other release from. <laughs> and and I do still enjoy them. I can't do a lot of it, but I do definitely still enjoy them. Oh, yeah. I, and they're, they're good. Like, it's just like drinking dessert. Like, yeah. If you like dessert, you're going to like a, a fruit, a smoothie sour. Yeah. But then I, I but to you, what you were saying before, like an actual sour beer that just has fruit added to it like or can actually just conditioned on fruit like absolutely delicious but that's a much harder jump for someone who's not into craft beer absolutely well it is and it isn't because my example my aunt is a wine drinker but I was so just going to say, unless it's someone who would, yeah. I'm like, hey, let's cook these steaks and just treat it as like a wine and loved it. Yeah, because I used to hate wine. Mm. Um, I'm still not real big on it, but I could actually find wines I enjoyed after I started to drink like uh, mixed fermentation sours and barrel aged sours and stuff like 
that kind of got me into the taste profile where I can enjoy a wine. Yeah. I think finding like a common place or something you like is the best way to, to get someone into it. You know, whether that's from wine to sour beer or vice versa, or yeah, like, like Mikey said, dessert to a, a pastry stout or a, a heavily fruited sour. But yeah, I think you got to start somewhere, right? Like you have to get, you have to yeah. you have to hook somebody before you can really get them to to try something that's a little more out of their comfort zone. Hey, your so new then, girlfriend might like the New York Jets, but at least she's watching football now. <laughs> <laughs> as long as they're in it, I uh, I, I caught a little bit of the Jets game yesterday because it was on right before the Steeler game. Yeah. Um, and they just kept showing people in the crowd, Jets fans just looking so just detested. <laughs> Yay, go sports. Yeah. <laughs> um, Dan, what is your favorite style? Uh, one to drink and then favorite to brew. It's really, for me, it's a tie. I just love really like dry drinkable beer. So it's probably a tie between like a mixed fermentation Saison and a great german or czech style pills um i would say we early on i, I lean towards mixed firm saison but uh more and more these days we're really enjoying our our uh our lager program and, and a big part of that is going back to like the terroir you know how can we highlight the the regional ingredients we're using in the best way to make something that's really drinkable and still kind of shows where we come from so a lot of it for me is is back to the best way to showcase the ingredients. And I think those styles really do a great job at it. Are hops grown in North Carolina? There's a little bit, but uh, if you want to get those, you, you can only really get them, you know, in whole leaf form and usually only fresh hops. There's not any, like, okay. there's not a lot of like kilning and pelletizing going on in North Carolina. So we're still buying most of our hops from Oregon and Yakima. Um, but that's something that we're keeping an eye on as the the industry, you know, kind of grows and evolves here in, in North Carolina. It, it didn't seem like that would be a the right climate for hop production from the very limited knowledge. Yeah, I have the, of growing the hops. latitude <laughs> is a little too low, so there's not like the really long yeah. summer days that you need to get good yield and good quality. I don't think. So is it, is it much more common than to use malt? that's produced in North Carolina. That's what we primarily do. So yeah, we use, like I said, I think earlier, we use hundred percent local malt and, and we get some really great, um, interesting heirloom varieties of, we use malted Carolina gold rice. Uh, we've used a couple different varieties of, uh, Carolina grown corn and different beers. We get great wheat that's grown here. Um, triticale, which is like a wheat rye hybrid. So yeah, there's a huge variety of, of local grains. And then, Epiphany is a great partner uh, on the malt side. They have their own roasting facility, so they can make us caramel malts, roasted, everything we really want. Um, and we can get it really fresh uh, since they're so small. It's it's a good, quick turnaround. What's your favorite style, Mikey? Dark lagers. Any, uh, anyone? Uh, you know, Shores beers, you know, the, the ch slow pour Czech lagers, stuff like that. Yeah. Have you guys um, jumped on to the side pool tap oh, yeah. trend? 
Yeah. Yeah. A couple cycles. Um, <laughs> yeah, so we use that for our logger program. Occasionally, we'll throw a mixed room saison on the side pole just to do something a little bit different. Um, but yeah, we, we do a little experimentation with those, and uh, that's probably going to be something that we continue to grow and, and do even more of going forward. Nice. Yeah, I like sending stuff to Dan on Instagram constantly when I see it. <laughs> it's <laughs> definitely taking off, but like yeah, without I'm, a doubt. Like it's, I'm super okay with it. I don't mind waiting, you know, eight minutes for my beer. I'm starting to see a lot more. Uh, <laughs> I'm, okay I'm starting to see a lot more English Cascade on like beer engines and stuff around too. I think that's going to be the next thing in the next few years that you start to see a little more of. I still can't get on board with that. <laughs> it's not for everyone, but I, not yet. I, I saw. I had a ton of it when I, I was whoa. in Scotland, though. I mean, it was really common in the pubs there, and I mean, it's it's nice to it's nice and nuanced, and it doesn't really get in the way of you know a session classic session beer. It doesn't get in the way of having a conversation and hanging out for a few hours. I think I think I've actually though just never had. It was explained to me that I've probably just never had properly uh, served cask beer engine poured beer because my response like when someone brought up before and i said like i just i don't like uncarbonated warm beer and that apparently is not the right characteristic yeah it should be it should be like cellar temperature like 55 degrees and it usually is lightly carbonated and you get i mean this really like silky soft mouthfeel you know it's and in those like lighter ABV beers, those, those session beers, it's it brings out a ton of character. It's beautiful, I think. So I think I think it's quite possible. I just never have had a good version, so I probably shouldn't be so down on them. But maybe as they come back and people get back into it, I'll try them again. But like ten years ago, when they were popular, I did not like. Yeah, them. I've done a, I've done a couple of them where you just kind of like throw the cask on the bar and you know pound the the spigot into the side of it, and it's really not the same. Yeah, I hate that. It's really not the same as doing it like you know properly conditioned in a beer engine, and it, it yeah, it's a lot. It's a big difference. I'll have to give it a shot again sometime <laughs> when there's a brewery that I trust that did it correctly. <laughs> That's what it's all about. You got to find a good beer bar that, that does it well or a good brewery. I was just in, I'll, I'll give a little shout out. I was just in Nashville for that beer festival and went by Barrique Brewing and Blending. And uh, they had an excellent, excellent cask mild on. So if you're ever in Nashville, okay. I would definitely try theirs. Maybe it'll change your mind. I probably won't be there anytime soon, but I will keep that in mind. I just don't, uh, I, I stay pretty close to Frederick because. Uh, it's easy to stay at home. <laughs> I think the, although I did, I made it all the way down to Durham uh, earlier this year. So that was, that's like what, halfway to Tennessee, right? Yeah, ish. Yeah. You got to get a mic from Edium to, to make you on. Yeah. Um, do you guys have anything coming up that you're excited about? Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's dark beer season for us. I'm excited for that. So this week we're launching a new coffee stout, and then next week we're launching a English mild, um, which we're not doing on task, but uh, 
Uh, it's called Winter Vibes. It's part of our Vibe series. It's all session English-inspired ales. And then we have Wintery Mix, which is a spiced dark lager we have coming out next week, too. So I'm excited to, to get into the, the cold weather and, and dark beer season. Do you make ESBs? We do a beer called Sweater Weather or, uh, in the past that is an ESB. And then we this year we did our Autumn Vibes as an English ESB. So it's usually like a once-a-year thing. It's not something we have on all the time. That's a um, a style I don't feel like receives enough respect. I think the word bitter then, scares people away. Yeah, because it's I think people think too much of like West Coast IPA, like, but it's or like just bitter IPA instead of like what an ESB really is. Well, in a world of hazies, you see the word bitter, and it's like, well, that's yeah, that's exactly true. the opposite of what I want to yeah. do. Because it, it, it's it's always a nice surprise when I'm at a brewery and they have a really good ESB. Mm. Uh, there, half, a, Pastry Town actually had their English Mild on that my buddy Anthony made. I think I uh, almost blacked out drinking those. Uh, I think I had eight of them. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you had said um, where you see like in the brewery sales going up and trending upwards for loggers and west coast is that same thing happening in stores too or is that more of like at breweries no no no. that's that's in the entire market okay personally i think these the hazies and stuff have been around so long i mean you get a veil beer and you get a treehouse beer and you know people are paying top dollar for these type of beers and they're realizing well they taste pretty similar and after you know five six years of drinking them it's like how much better can these beers get until you start throwing fruit in them or something so i think that's when like i said earlier like people are like oh i've tried these beers before let me revisit them again like when i first got in the industry oh well west coast were too bitter but that was five years ago so let me revisit them again it's like holy shit these these are really good it's same for lagers it's like oh man i didn't like the beer flavored beer but now I can sit down and have four of them and still, you know, function. So I'm enjoying just enjoying my beer and not having, you know, seven. I don't know. Well, that's what I love about like the second wave of West Coast IPAs, like breweries making them with the more modern brewing techniques, using new hop, um, not variety, like, but just like new um uh, i don't know what you call it variants yeah uh, like cryo and like all the different ways of being able to add hops now and it it's like a west coast 2.0 oh man we got we have devon barrel in town and they're amazing every west coast ipa they put out is amazing new west coast ipas are almost like a whole different thing than what we thought of as west coast ipas like really early on in craft beer too like now they drink more like a really hoppy pilsner almost, you know, it's like lighter in color, really crisp, not, uh, you know, not a lot of caramel malt, not a lot of caramel flavor. And then you're, you're using the dry hopping to bring out this like great, like and you're getting more juicy flavor and aroma and everything. It's not just straight like pine and bitterness that clings to yeah. your palate. Uh, yeah. That new school style of West coast IPA, I think is, a really nice, like beautiful beer. And I, I'm excited to start seeing a lot more of them around and we're excited to brew more of them as well. 
Yeah, I'm I'm loving it. It's not your daddy's Pliny anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so you never liked Pilot Wrecker? That's such a great beer. When you said that, I just think of Foothills. As much as I love their beer, they had a beer called what, Death by Hops. And every time I had that beer, it's like, oh, my God. Yeah, I bet <laughs> if I had it now, it'd be a lot different. But I was drinking that, you know, within the first year or two I was in the industry. And I just – I would cringe when I would see it on the shelves. Like, I don't want all those <laughs> – like, it's, it's been years since I've had it. So I bet if I revisit it, I'd probably like it a lot more. But – Back in the day, yeah, I, I didn't like it at all. Yeah, the only thing I can't—I don't think we had anything made locally like that. The only thing I could think of is Pallet Wrecker. Like, yeah. I guess Dogfish Head. No, ninety is kind of like too, really sweet, so it's not—it's not on the same level. Well, even the like the last brewery I worked at, Triple C, they had the beer Three uh, C IPA. It was a great beer, but it was. If you had three, I remember there. If you had three of those, I couldn't get the taste out of my mouth for the rest of the night. Like my whole palate was wrecked. And like I said, they were great beers because I could get down three of them no problem. But it's just my taste buds were screwed. See, I love that. And then you're burping hops for at least two, three hours afterwards. <laughs> I can't do that. I miss but that. Then again, those were the days. To me, then probably isn't that bad now. Um, so what is next for wooden robot? Let's see. Uh, just trying to get better. I mean, we're really not, we, we opened up, uh, our sour facility two and a half years ago. And then, you know, shortly after that, just trying to get through COVID and everything. So we're just excited to get rolling again. And we feel like things are, you know, a little closer to back to normal and just trying to get a little bit better every day. Where do people go to keep up to date with what you're doing? Check us out on Instagram. That's the best way. Uh, also, uh, check out our website. Sign up for our newsletter. We do some deep dives every month uh, just to give updates on cool stuff that we have going on around the brewery. And then visit either of our two tap rooms, either the chamber in Noda or the original brewery in the South End. And it's, it's at Wooden Brewery on all social media, right? Uh, I think it's at Wooden Robot Brewery on Instagram and at Wooden Dead. Robot AL I forgot that one on important word. Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, forgot that one keyword in that, didn't I? Yeah, I <laughs> As I was looking unpod- directly <laughs> at it. <laughs> what a great unpodcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so if you're looking for them, don't forget the robot part. It's kind of important. <laughs> oh i just i just brought up your instagram account you should find someone to make um a wooden robot version of rock'em sock'em robots there you go we have a local artist i think it would be pretty good at that i was gonna say like almost every brewery has some dedicated fan that is that artistic I I'm would do that. Studying for my uh, my degree in TikTok right now, so maybe we'll have a TikTok going soon. <laughs> I um I don't know I I have not gotten into TikTok. Yet. Yeah, it's a, it's it's a it's a whole another world. I'm gonna stick to Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> These at, old topics. 
it, I waste enough time there. I don't need to add another social network to yeah. eat up my day. That's true. Right. Is there anything um, else you gentlemen would like to cover or talk well. about that I did not touch on? I don't think so. I think we covered a lot of ground. Cool. Well, thank you too so much for your time today. I enjoyed getting to learn about Wooden Robot. Um, And I look forward to trying some more of your beers because OC Gold was absolutely delicious. We got some on the way. Be there. Happy birthday to me. Thanks so much for having us. It's been a blast. Yeah, man. Yeah, absolutely. I and I, I actually I gotta look at my schedule. I think I have like several North Carolina breweries that are like episodes that'll be coming out this month. So nice. it's a weird uh North Carolina focused December. You could have it be all year, okay. I think, and not run out of North Carolina breweries that are making great beer. That's true. Yeah, like with the <laughs> maybe I'll just I'll just move down, I'll set up shop down there for a little while. I mean if you did a Charlotte brewery every week, you got twenty twenty two taken care of. Cool. I only need another 30 to finish out the year. I'm sure that's easy go. to find. <laughs> All right, gentlemen, thank you so much for your time. Um, and thank you everyone for listening. Cheers. 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 Whoop, whoop. The Uncapped Podcast is produced by Graham Cullen and me, Chris Sands. Be sure to like us on Facebook. And if you've enjoyed these podcasts, please leave us a review on Google Play or the iTunes Store. A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening. Oh my God, that's good.